Marianne Reagan, um, before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am a college, well, I just finished my freshman year, and I'm studying economics and math right now, and I love to read, I love to write, I love people like y'all, yeah. <laughs> and I love my family, Yes, and I'm excited to be here today. Well, we had your mom on mm-hmm. uh, a couple of times ago, Leah, and she's awesome. Yes, she is. <laughs> and your sister's awesome, Hope. We hope yes. to have her on at some point. Yes. Now, I know before you went to college, you were interested in computer science. Yes, yeah, so I still, we were actually talking about this earlier, but I still definitely do enjoy computers. I think they're important, especially in the modern world. But I definitely love the intersection between the rest of society, I guess, and the computing world, and economics and math kind of fuses that. We were talking earlier about how economics and math, it's this fusion of a science and an art, too. You have just this, you know, study, and then you have the application to the real world. And so, I mean, I love that. So Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, um, Reagan, we got to know each other uh, when you were still in high school, and um, you were homeschooled, mm-hmm. and you were, and probably still are, a very good golfer, <laughs> played a lot of golf, decided not to go to college on a golf scholarship and mm-hmm. play golf, but to just kind of have a normal college experience. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm glad for, I'm glad about the choice that I made there. I mean, there are mm-hmm. so many things. We just, you know, in terms of all the many choices that we all have in our lives. I'm so glad to have made the choice to go to Alabama and get outside the box. We talk about that a lot is that, you know, so often we find ourselves in boxes that we often choose to just get confined and we choose the systems. But I mean, honestly, I hate the systems. I'm glad to be outside just even the small system of a competitive sport and just have room to breathe and be the person that I am. So, yeah. Well, uh, when you were a senior in high school, I taught a study with you and, and some other girls who were also um, in high school. Mm-hmm. And you and I had a couple of times where we got together, just the two of us, and then later over the summer we, we kind of continued that. Um, a couple of things that blew me away about you were your writings and you did start a blog although is it a public blog I don't it even know. is public yes it is okay well share what the name of the blog is and how you get it it's i you generally will share the link directly with people it's just okay. a wordpress free blog and i mean i call it crimson ink and the reason i called it crimson ink was because i started realizing that when i write i'm writing you know in the blood of Jesus is how I'm writing is how I think of it. Like I literally am writing. That's what fuels me. That's what ends up going on paper. And so that's what I called it. Yeah. Well, I, I figured that's why you called it that crimson yes. ink didn't yep. have anything to do with the crimson tide. <laughs> yes. His blood is my crimson. Ink. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Not yes. the Alabama crimson yeah. tide where you do go to yes. college. Now, it's but. also, it kind of has multiple meanings there. It has, yes. some, yeah, it has some overlap, but yes, you could be all things to all people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, but your, your writings and not only your writings, but just our conversations, um, 
I've never met, I'm just going to be honest, I have never met anybody your age. I don't look down on you for your age, okay? <laughs> I, I never have, but I especially don't because your understanding of grace, of who you are in Jesus, and just theological, biblical concepts, is just is greater than anybody I've ever known your age and most any age. Like, it is profound, and I don't mean to put you on the spot by praising you with such superlatives, but but I'm I'm just being honest, and I see you as a Pharisaeist, as one who's bold and who isn't afraid to tell the truth, and so I've seen you. You know you you. The blog is excellent. You know, you talk about being a new new creation. You know, you, you talk about actually wanting to be a mom and a wife and things like that. I mean, every one of the things that you have written have been in-depth, biblical, and profound. And in college, you've kind of taken that in different directions, right? Mm-hmm. So tell me in college kind of what, what you've gotten yourself involved in. Yeah, so one of the main things I am involved in in college is a conservative group called Young Americans for Freedom. And so with that group, it's very family, freedom, faith-oriented. And so definitely found some, you know, like-minded to an extent, peers who care about the things that big picture I care about. Meaning, you know, again, those faith, family, freedom concepts are pretty much everything, you know, to me. It's my entire life. And through that group, really had the opportunity to, you know, be an activist for those things on campus and really have the chance to promote those ideas to people who often don't think about those things and don't care or just are confused. And so that's been one of the main things. And I mean, you know, just living my life the way I am with faith and with living and with conversations organically with different people and friendships and I mean, those have been my main avenues. A lot of the times, honestly, I mean, I rest a lot. I like my time to just have unscheduled. Again, I talk about being in the box. I mean, I like to, I definitely am by no means, you know, a lazy or, you know, not somebody who doesn't do things, but it's something that I enjoy being unscheduled to an extent and having the chance to schedule my own time. Because again, it's a paradox because Mm -hmm. I'm very schedule oriented and very focused on, you know, having structure in my life, but also having the time and space to do the things, you know, the Lord calls me to do and that I see opportunities for. Yeah. And so, I mean, I've appreciated that in college. That kind of reminds me, I feel we talk a lot about walking in rhythms of grace and um, really listening to the Holy Spirit and promptings of the Holy Spirit. But I think people might have a misconception, which is if you're walk in grace that you say yes to everything that comes your way. But I find it's actually the opposite is true. I feel emboldened and empowered because of Jesus to put boundaries in my life, to say no to certain things. And the things that I say yes to, I can say fully yes to. In fact, I was just telling somebody that the other day because they said, I hope you don't burn out on something. And I said, I need you to know that I actually say no to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But I have boundaries and the things I can say yes to, I feel like I can fully say yes to because I feel like that's where the Lord has called me at that moment. Yep. But it empowers me to say, no, I'm, I'm going to pass on this, mm-hmm. which, like you said, gives you that opportunity to have margin in your life and to yep. 
fully commit to things that the Lord has called you to, but also feel very, and uh, one of the things that's been freeing on a day-to-day basis, and I feel like you were talking about some of these things and how they practically pay out in your life, Mm -hmm. is that I can say no and I can be confident in just saying no to somebody, whereas Mm -hmm. I used to feel like if I said no, I had to give a reason to say no. No, I can't do this because I have this conflict or... Mm -hmm and tell them that, but now I can just say no and be confident of who I am in Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the same thing too with relationships that I think about just friendships and people that I meet in college because more than ever, there's more than ever on a day-to-day basis, I'm in contact with people that I don't see eye to eye with. So, you know, for a lot of my life growing up homeschooling and growing up in, you know, awesome faith circles, there have been a lot of really awesome people in my life through the years. And now all of a sudden the majority of the people I'm in contact with on a day-to-day basis are draining and often, you know, it's often annoying to be around people who just don't see the, like it's, you know, these pursuits of things that I don't agree with and all these things. And, you know, loving those people and seeing where they're coming from. I feel like I see that better than ever, you know, where people are coming from, why they are the way they are, just understanding, but also putting up that boundary of I'm very, very, you know, I'm very selective about who I consider my friends and about who I really want to spend, you know, really close time with and open myself up to more than ever. It's a similar. Yeah. I have a nine-year-old daughter and that's one of the things I feel like I'm trying to start to teach her is that we can be so kind and loving towards everyone that comes our path. But that doesn't mean we need to cultivate a relationship with everyone that comes along our path, that that's not wisdom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, go, you know, going deep, you can't go deep with very many people. Right. And you can't trust Everybody, right. you know, you need right. to know them first. Right. So I, I uh, just last week, I, this word that God gave me when I woke up is that I'm the light of the world. Okay, now we have relationships that, you know, all kinds of relationships. Um, some are close, some are acquaintances, some you never even meet like in a, a class of 200 people most of them you you won't know their names you may never see them again um do you have a purpose in being there do you have, you know I, but this word that came which came with a lot of scripture and it was very very developed in my heart was one of the most encouraging words that God has given me because of the world we're living in that is so contrary to truth. I mean, the world is is living on lies, living on on you know feasts of lies and an abundance of lies, and and it's destructive and it's causing pain. And when we think so much about that, and especially our position and all that, as far as like. How is it affecting me and my family? Well, it does affect our families, and it does affect us, and it's hard, and it doesn't feel good, and it makes us angry. If, if you know, you'd, not that you would ever want to be dumb and naive, and but you almost look at them and think, well, they're happier than I am sometimes. Yes. Yeah. You're relating to that. Yes, I do. No, sometimes I sit there and I think, you know, it would be a lot easier in a lot of ways to – not 
be able to see those things as easily and not be, you know, some of the giftings and talents that I have that I think about, you know, I'm very blessed that God's given me some of the things that I'm good at. We all have these different things. And I'm like, you know, some of those are very helpful and very awesome in a lot of ways. But sometimes it's like, wow, I wish that I didn't see those things. So obviously, Mm -hmm. because it makes it hard. And then too, you're, feel like you're, you know, off by yourself. Like you're just, you know, this, you're, there's everybody. And then you're just, it's isolating because you, yeah. Well, uh, one of, one of the things I know that you did was, uh, I guess with your, the organization you've been a part of, Mm -hmm. is that the organization that had Matt Walsh? Yes. Okay. So, um, tell me how y'all prepared for that and invited people to come yeah, so basically the organization is, it's 30 to 50 people. Really, it's around 30 that are very actively involved. But every year, usually a couple times a year, um, a speaker's hosted. So in the fall, applications were sent out to host different speakers. And I mean, some of them are, you know, Daily Wire people like Ben Shapiro or Matt Walsh or Mike Pence is who we hosted in the spring. So Anyway, it's sent out and just seeing what we have money for, what the dates line up for, and when that's selected and nailed down, we start advertising for it. So, for instance, with Matt Walsh, his documentary is called What is a Woman? So, with his documentary, from that title, knowing that would be the theme he would speak on, we went out and asked hundreds of students, you know, what is a woman all over campus, collected the data, the statistics. It It was amazing. I mean, honestly... That's probably one of my favorite parts of college so far has been just that experience. Yeah. yeah so. Well, what kind of answers did you get? <laughs> All kinds of things. A lot of people just said a woman is whatever they want to be. Some did, you know, know and would say biology, but that was less than half, I believe, is what it came down to. Some would say, and the funniest was we would laugh because someone said, I don't know, someone who, like, washes dishes. So we've said a woman is a dishwasher ever since. Yeah. But, no, I mean, honestly, just... Some people would say a woman is whatever, you know, it, most common was just whatever she wants to be. There's no difference. You know, whoever identifies as one, It's that was one of the most common. I think biology and whatever she wants to be were about split. And a lot of times, you know, we would have a conversation with that, asking, well, what does it mean to identify as a woman? If I say I am a woman, what do I identify as? Because when you really boil that down, that's really getting into some, they don't like gender roles, but then you're getting into something when you say a woman is well someone who likes womanly things well what is a womanly thing right, right. and you know you just keep going down that and they're like, i don't know so and then they don't yeah. know mm-hmm. yeah well how did that affect you personally in a lot of ways so ever since that's you know throughout the fall that was the biggest question was just you know what is a woman i obviously know the answer to that question right i believe a woman's defined biology we're created male and female by god Right, but ever since, it's been a huge question on my mind of not just, not what is a woman, but what should a woman be? What does it mean? Why does gender matter? You know, in the modern world, what is the difference between masculinity and femininity, and what is our culture lost with the traditional family unit, having lost this concept of what a woman means? Even though I know I'm a woman, you know, what does it mean that I'm a woman, and why does that change anything? And that's it's been transformational for me in a lot of ways, just seeing the intersection of my faith and family and our culture and how things have changed and just the most important parts of, you know, the world, honestly. Yeah. So I, I can see that you had to grapple with it, what you already knew mm-hmm. and accepted as true. Yeah. It was, um, not that it was challenged in the, in the sense that you would have changed your mind, yeah. but that you then... Uh, 
you know, became more articulate mm-hmm. in in speaking of it in in the cultural cultural paradigm that we find ourselves yeah. in. You are educated yeah. in a way that you maybe you weren't before. Mm-hmm. And after talking to you and your mom, um, you know, college uh, is. is is really inundated more than we thought, right? <laughs> more, more, more than we we knew before you went, mm-hmm. and uh, it certainly isn't. <laughs> I graduated from college in 1986, so uh, we we are talking. It's not even the same. Mm-hmm. It's not even the same. So, um, what you're dealing with, and so this this is where I really thought about you in this topic of I am the light of the world is that. This message of who you are in Jesus is 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 the most encouraging message when you're in a dark world because you we have got to be able with all of the confusion around us whether it's to the extreme you're talking about or just to the daily life of of confusion uh, maybe even among Christians you know that that rather than just feel the pressure, the sadness of the condition of things, we can turn that around and say, okay, why am I here? What part do I play in this? And I am telling you what God has been saying to me is it isn't just about the things that we do or even the things that we say. It is about the presence of God in us. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he said, you are the light of the world. And so, call me crazy, but I literally think that my presence being, you know, the fact that I'm temple of the Holy Spirit, that if I walk into a store or a restaurant, if I'm in a big class with 200 people and I never even meet that person across the room, I'm changing things. I have brought light into the room. Absolutely. Y'all feel that way? Absolutely. So that... Nothing is mundane. Everything, life is a miracle. And we can choose at any moment in time to go from, this is awful, you know, to I am doing something about it. By virtue of me still being in an earthen vessel that anchors me to this world. As long as I'm here, I'm light. Yeah, it's that has been definitely a huge development for me, especially in the past year, is seeing just things beyond what I knew the world looked like, you know, in the college setting, and often being so frustrated, you know, with those things that, I mean, I would just, like, and two, I mean, there have been so many times that I've just broke down crying about not even something that has to do with me, but just the state of the world. I'm living in, and when I look around, just the brokenness and the hurt and the all the corruption and the lies that are just everywhere, and always it always you know comes back to you know, but like but that's not how things are. And I love that I talk about too all the time. Something I think about is, for instance, David and the Psalms. I think I've told you this before. I always notice how when I'm you know reading the Psalms that he has those moments too where he's saying you know I you know am down in you know the shadow of the valley of the darkness like you have all these things buts right like he stops with that conjunction and he puts that conjunction there and he says but this is who God is and right and for us even more so in the new covenant we know it's not just but this is who God is because that is but therefore this Mm -hmm. is who I am am. right and so and again 
I am the light of the world because of that. And I see that more than ever, like seeing the, you know, beauty and the miracles in every single moment and also saying, you know, I am one of those miracles, right? Like I'm one of the biggest miracles of all because I'm a human. I bear his, you know, mark and I am his light in every single place that I go. Often doesn't feel like it. Feels like, you know, no one notices, no one cares, everyone's going on. And then there's just those little moments that are like, wow, you know, it does make a difference, you know. God's working in ways I can't even That's right. fathom. But, yeah. Well, and I think one of one of the critical, you know, this is where doctrine, to me, uh, becomes very important, you know. And that is, what does it mean to be the light of the world? Where does that come from? Um, what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be a citizen of heaven? Um you know, what does it mean to be the righteousness of God in Christ mm-hmm. as I'm relating to others and as a new creation, how do I see things? Like, what am I seeing? And the, the question is, are we always looking at the flesh of man mm-hmm. or are we seeing beyond the flesh? to the spiritual condition of a, of, of a person. And, you, I mean, I understand we've always said you can't judge. You don't know. Well, you don't. But if you're willing to see people not by the flesh, but go into the mode of, of heavenly vision, mm-hmm. putting on those cross-eyed mm-hmm. New Covenant lenses, I think that's the beginning point, that willingness on our part to go, okay, shut this down for a minute. What I'm looking at in the natural is something so repulsive to me. It's, you know what I'm saying? Right. Or, or even just so irritating, yeah. you know, whether it's be some, somebody in the world or whether it's be somebody in the church who's just some self-righteous, irritating person or, you know, stop for a minute, okay? Are you willing to put your new covenant lenses on and see beyond that. And I think that's the starting point to, okay, God, what are you seeing? What are you saying? And once I hear that, then I'm in an action mode, you know, an action mode of pray for that person, love that person. Mm -hmm. How am I going to do that? Well, God will lead me in that, in those unforced rhythms of grace. Absolutely. And just to know that you carry that. That there is life-changing power that lives inside of me, not because of anything I've done, but because he's just placed that inside of me. But it can give me confidence to walk in any situation and go, hey, I can walk into this room and Jesus, the Savior of the world, will walk in this room because he lives in me. And that changes everything that happens in that room Mm -hmm. because Jesus is now in that room, not because of what I've done. That's just He's put himself in me, and as he goes with me wherever I go. There's something else with that, too. So, like I said, one of my majors is economics. And economics is, ultimately, it's usually defined as the study of scarcity. And this has been a huge transformational thing in my life because, I mean, I feel like I've always, you know, for most of my life, I've seen, you know, my own identity pretty clearly and seen the world, you know, through a but there's this, been this transformation in my own life of seeing cultural things more and more through the New Covenant lens. And that's, like, like I said, been a you know gender, family, like all these things. But 
when I think about specifically with economics being the study of scarcity, right? So I've realized that so much of my life, I'm so, you know, numbers oriented and trends focused. And I mean, I love to analyze mm-hmm. it. I think it's important, such an important part of the world, but I've seen more and more over the last year that my just vision and perspective has transformed from one of seeing finite resources and seeing even in my own life, like thinking about finances and thinking about these things and seeing my life is not defined by scarcity, right? Like I have a God who's outside space and outside time and who doesn't have, you know, the upper limits on graphs and the intersections, you know, (laughs) in equilibria do not happen where they do in the natural world because my God is the God who, you know, transformed, you know, small loaves of bread and fish into, you know, for thousands and water into wine and all these things like he transformed. So, Obviously, if he's not defined by scarcity, neither am I, Amen. right? So Amen. that's been, you know, in the smallest, just my default perspective. A lot of that is conscious, you know, rewiring my own brain to when I hear things or when I see things to realize my brain, like, why, I don't need to respond this way because yeah. that's not what God says about this situation because I'm not defined by scarcity. Even though I'm studying it all the time and it's important, that's not my reality. That's for, you know, the people who don't understand what God wants for them. So, well, and I, I, I heard this a long time ago that, yeah, you have facts, right? Mm-hmm. The facts, you, you've got the laws of nature and you have all that, but the truth overrides the facts. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. But I want to talk just a, a second more about light and the fact that we are the light of the world and Jesus called himself the light of the world. And light Light in this respect means you are shining. He's also the truth, right? He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And he is referred to as the true light, true light, like the real light, the genuine light. And um, in John 1, 17, it says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And truth and True, you know, they come from the same Greek word, but it, it means the real, the manifested. So what this all means is that Jesus came to reveal who God is. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the visible image of the invisible God. He is the exact representation of God's nature. And you could, there's many scriptures that, that speak of this. So when you see Jesus and you can read the gospel, and you see all the things that he did, healing people, feeding people, defending, you know, the woman caught in adultery, you know, extending grace to people, um, like the woman caught in adultery, the woman at the well, the woman with the alabaster box, and so forth. Anyway, you see all these pictures of God. He's the image. That's that's what God looks like. And then he says, we are the light of the world. And, oh, and you know where he says, I am the light of the world, was, you know where it was, John 8, 12, in the yes. context of the woman caught in adultery, right? He, he, he says, Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Then the very next verse, he says, I am the light of the world. So he has just revealed what God is like. That he says, now go and, you know, he says, neither do I condemn you first, right? right. That's the part that comes first. first. Then go and sin no more. Which the power to go sin no more is that you're not condemned. Yeah. And when you realize that, your life changes. Yeah. Well, and light represents to what? true love is because again love is inseparable from truth but truth isn't you know a pharisee you know condemning everything that you're doing it's a it's an acknowledgement of what was and it's a understanding of who god made us to be and how we live as a result of that because it's inseparable from truth which is again the modern day thing that people want to 
throw the truth out the window, but no, light is, mm-hmm. we expose that and it reveals something, you know, beautiful and new and who we really are. Exactly. And, and so when you realize the depth of God's love for you, your identity mm-hmm. as a as a citizen of heaven, holy and righteous before God, and that great demonstration of love at the cross, and and you become you become awakened to this truth of the gospel, right? You 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 are the more you know, the more you're humbled by it, and the more loved you you know you are. And therefore, the more love you can give. And so, you know, you forgive as you've, you've been forgiven, right? You, that's why we can forgive is because we've been forgiven. And the more you know about that, the more you can forgive others. So, uh, uh, but, but this power of love um, puts a boldness in us to stand up for truth in all respects, mm-hmm. right? And... It gives us um, the courage to take a path of great resistance. Mm-hmm. And it also gives us um, the comfort and encouragement in the spiritual sense, you know, from the Lord himself mm-hmm. and from those he brings alongside us to make it through those times where we feel alone. And, and you know, like the woman caught in adultery was left alone, but... You know, Jesus himself ran those accusers off. But this path that we're on of truth is often a path of so much resistance that if we would just take a path of lesser resistance and we would just compromise on the gospel, compromise on cultural things, or you know, and, and just, oh, can't we all just get along, you know? But I always think of the least of these. And if, if, I, if I don't stand up in truth, then who is going to stand up in truth? Right. If we, if we, as the body of Christ, don't stand up in truth, who is going to stand up for the least of these? So when somebody's been taken yeah. advantage of and been used as a political pawn as a child, yeah, yeah. however that well, may look like, yeah. if if the body of Christ doesn't stand up for them and say, mm-hmm. this is not right, how you treat or treating children, mm-hmm. I'm seeing this across the nation right now, people, the body of Christ standing up going, we're not doing this for children. Would So I, I just think if the body of Christ doesn't, who does? Yeah, and I think, too, another thing is, right, love by its definition, right? God is love, but love Amen. does not depend on reciprocation. It doesn't matter. You know, yes. God's love has nothing to do with who we are now. We do have to receive it by faith to be made righteous and be able to inherit, you know, that eternal gift. But love, he loves, he is love because he doesn't, there's no reciprocation necessary. And the same is yeah, true sacrificial. when we yeah. love others you know, we don't love often, you know, in a physical sense, we don't love to the extent that God is able to because we can't, but at the same time, our goal is to love in a way that Mm -hmm. doesn't, you know, regardless of reciprocation, regardless if they, you know, understand what we're fighting for, we have to stand for truth because it doesn't matter what they do because it's what we're called to be, right? So if we're fighting for light and if we're fighting for love and if we're fighting for truth, we have to stand for those things whether yeah. they want it or not, because it's who we are. That's right. Yes. That's right. Um, you know, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, yeah. that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, mm-hmm. but that the world through him might be saved. So our mission is not to condemn people. Right. Yeah. Our mission is to go save people. Of course, we yeah. know he does the saving, but 
we are the messengers of good news. Right. But we can't compromise on, you know, uh, you know, we're in a place, and, and, we, and we've been in this place for a long time. There's been a slippery slope. There's been a, a boiling of the frog, you know, culturally, mm-hmm. to the point where we are so far uh, uh out of the or you know God's order as laid out in the scriptures, mm-hmm. you know even to the point of what is woman, um, marriage, yeah. all of those things um, that boy we find ourselves taking such a narrow road because we are all about grace and not legalism. Mm-hmm. We're not about universalism. We're about Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah. We're about, also about God's order of things. So it's like on so many levels we are taking the most narrow of paths. You know, and I, I thought that, you know, just becoming this grace person was, was, I mean, that was, there was so much controversy in that. And I was taking this, you know, this road, but now we're heaping onto that. How are you going to deal with the the blatant sin that's going on? Are are we just going to say, oh, it's okay. Grace, grace, grace. I mean, you can't do that either. So we found ourselves in, Okay. So I want to touch on one more thing here. Um, this this cross-eyed vision that we have and seeing people, um, we, we're ambassadors for Jesus, right? We are ministers of reconciliation. Uh, I just want to read this, this passage. And I, I, I want to say, first of all, um, I've gone into meetings with people. You know, I remember meeting at a coffee shop with... Uh, this person, this young person, and um, and this has happened to me on multiple occasions, but I just remember this specific one where um, he was absolutely believing a lie about his identity. It was a young man, uh, and he, I, I believe he was I believe he was in college at the time, maybe in high school, um, but he was believing a, a complete lie about his identity. And my daughter had asked me to meet with him. And before I, I, I walked into the meeting place, um, I just prayed and I said, Lord, what do, you know, what do I need to know before I go into this? And he said, I want you to ask him if he believes in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And that'll be from where you will begin this conversation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and based on his answer to that question, you will know who he is in the core of his being. You will know his identity. And there are only two identities. Uh, you know, you can say lost or saved, dead or alive. You know, we're a, a new creation in Christ or, or we're still in, in the old creation. Um, so, and, and what changes that is to be born again by the Spirit of God mm-hmm. and to become a child of God. So I asked that question, and um, he answered that he did believe that Jesus Christ was his Lord and Savior. And And this is what God gave me. The very next thing I said was, I need you to know something before we go any further. I said, you're not going to hell. You are not going to hell. Tears. Tears. And tons of honesty came after that. The mask came off. And then I was in an almost identical situation with a young woman who also was completely confused about her identity. Um. If you saw her Facebook page, you would say that is a man. And so, but at the time, uh, she was involved in ministry, Christian ministry. And so, uh, 
I felt like God asked me to ask her that same, you know, had me to ask her that same question. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? But he added a little bit. As I was asking the question, there was a little part that kind of came added to it, kind of on the heels of it. I said, you know, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I said, or knowing that she had been in ministry, I said, have you piggybacked on the faith of others? In other words, have you been a pretender? And she looked me in the eye and she said, I've been piggybacking on others. I've never believed it. I don't believe it. And um, and, and she's just off the rails anti-Jesus now. But um, but I pray for her. I believe that God will bring her around. Uh, she's one of the most extreme cases I've ever seen. But um, so this these are the different ways to see, mm-hmm. right? To see to know how to pray. Jesus talked to Nicodemus a little bit differently than he did to the woman at the well, right? I mean, and, and he only said what he heard the Father say. He only did what he heard, saw the Father doing. So that that that's and that's how we can move in those unforced rhythms of grace and, and not hurried, not, you know, worried. I also love though, that you didn't feel the burden to save her, change her, show her. Yeah. But that you have the empowerment now to pray for her and pray for her from the standpoint of, you know, how much joy your father has for the one. Mm -hmm. And so then therefore you can pray for her and you can be part of the great cloud of witnesses that is cheering her on and maybe for decades and maybe you don't see it in this life, but you would, I think, I fully believe you'll see it at some point in your existence. Well, and that she'll, but that leaves you the power and the freedom to genuinely love her and pray for her and Mm -hmm. to cheer her on as who Jesus has made her. And you know how much your father will delight in the fact that when she returns home and she's the prodigal son, that he is going to be there with the fatted calf. Amen. And you get to take part of that. But you, there's no work for you to do. Well, you know, he gives me insights, you know, into how to pray and how to relate. You know, we, ha- we haven't talked in a long time, but I, um, we kept up for a while. She doesn't, she doesn't live here. Uh, she lives across country on the other side of the country but um in 2010 after she moved you know so so it's been a long time I'm just telling you this has been a long road for for this woman now um that and and she's married and she has children and she did all that before she um at, you know she was already having this identity crisis but but you know she just went full-blown in that direction but when she was at a point of being suicidal, um, someone told her about the song, and I think I've referred to it actually on this podcast before, but um, it's called Not Guilty Anymore by Aaron Keys. Everybody look it up. Everybody play it, okay? In 2010, she texted me, and she said, no, it had to be called me on the phone. I don't even know if I was texting in 2010. <laughs> I, I wasn't the first to have an iPhone, I can tell you that. But but anyway, she called me. She said, you've got to go to iTunes, and you've got to buy this song. And I was just learning about iTunes myself. Um, I was not a techno wizard. But I found this song, 
And she said, somebody gave it, you know, told me to get it. And um, I've listened to it several times. That's how I know God's bringing this, this young woman home is, is because that song says, you are blameless. You are worthy. You are faultless. Can you believe this? I mean, it's all about our identity in Jesus and that there's no condemnation. She so wanted to believe it. But she sent it to me, and it's, it's when grace broke open in my life. That, that was a big, that's a big part of my testimony. I actually write about it in Unveiling Jesus. Um, that, what that song did for me, you know, I pray it will do for her. Amen. And the seed yeah. is there. One of the things, too, that I see, I think, more and more is how often we see situations of, you know, brokenness all over the place, you know, in our own lives and situations like this and so many different ones. And how often, you know, what needs to be said, obviously, is this message of, who the person is, right, or who, what God wants for them ultimately, you know, yes. whether they believe or not. But it's something that more and more I realize there's a quote from Elizabeth Elliot, who, you know, she and her husband, her husband died in Ecuador, you know, martyred by these. And so she has some interesting things to say, but something that has really stuck with me is one of her quotes. She says, Lord, help me to see how little needs to be said, but even more so how little needs to be said by me. And yeah. that's really hit me because mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, what needs to be said is, their identity, but often, you know, we need to pause to say, you know, what is the spirit leading us to say? You know, am I supposed to listen or am I supposed to speak? Mm -hmm. What am, what is the part that again, like how you've done with these conversations, you know, what is it that you want me to ask and say and remind this person of who they are? Because often we get caught up in this physical world of, you know, I need to do this and need to, this is, this is the right step. And yes, you know, they're, you know, scripture is full of a million, you know, theological things. And but often we have so much knowledge and so many thoughts and so many ideas, but often what needs to be said is often a whole lot less and a whole lot simpler than what we had imagined. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, what do you, what do you want? A bunch of trophies, you know, people you led to the Lord? Yeah, I mean, right. I, I, well, and often a question, again, opens up. They're hard to listen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I feel like I, I can only... I will be the part, I will be the waterer, I will be the seed sower, you know, but I can't cause the growth. That's exactly right. You know, I I, I have to leave the results up to God mm-hmm. and be at peace with that. Mm-hmm. And and yet I know that I'm an important mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. I'm a laborer in the harvest field, and the fields are what, ripe, yes. right? Yeah. They're ripe for harvest. And, uh, and I think that we need... We as believers need to be more outward focused rather than so inward focused. I think it's funny because, you know, evangelism is obviously a huge topic that people talk about. And it's interesting because one of the big things is, you know, we need to find ways. And obviously we believe this, right? We are the lights of the world. We want people to know the message and the laws to understand. But there's this disconnect because so often the modern day church wants to make it all about we need to make sure that they have, you know, these resources and these books and these we need to make sure that we're outwardly saying the words enough that are the right words to hear, but you start to realize that it's often, you know, we have to pause and ask God, what is it that this situation needs? Because it's not a cowardly Mm -hmm. thing of I'm scared to tell people, because often that's what they'll turn it into is, you know, you're not being bold enough. You're not going out and spreading the word, but it's not that it's that we need to pause and say, what is wise and what is, what is it that he wants us to do in this moment? And how does, you know, my evangelism Mm -hmm. and outreach look Right. Based on what the Lord wants for this person in this situation. It's so per- and the Lord yeah. is so personal. Yeah. And I think that that's what I, growing up, there was this, you have to be mm-hmm. bold in this, handing yeah. out, you know, 
Yeah. Tracks this mass message of here's the Roman road and let me take you down it. Mm -hmm. But the Lord really works in very personal and intimate ways. So I feel like personal Mm -hmm. conversations, questions and the Lord having say to the Lord, I want to, I see pain here in this person and I want them to know you and I want them to know their identity in you. And if you want me to partner with you in this moment, that's great. Yeah. But I trust, even if you don't, that you have someone else that you're going to, a believer, that you yeah. will allow well, And if I'm to. a Pharisaeus, right, if I'm mm-hmm. a Pharisaeus, that means fundamentally, right, that I'm speaking in, well, you talk about boldness, like, I'm speaking okay. in boldness, boldness and I'm speaking in truth. Well, truth, again, we've been talking about what truth is. Truth is not, you know, it doesn't have to be this, you know, loud screaming thing of yes. everything I know to be true, because yes. there's a difference between truth in a situation and true and the mm-hmm. truth meets people where they are. You know, it's Jesus meeting the woman at the Absolutely. well and it's love and it's seeing things for what they need to be in that situation. I think so many times even just the phrase, the woman caught in adultery. Yeah. But when you really think about caught in adultery, do you, she would have come out naked, naked, yeah. naked mm-hmm. um, doing shameful stuff with people. Yeah. She was not married to right. and just how much, physical, just in the moment shame that that would have brought on somebody. I mean, if you pulled me outside right now, naked out of side of my house, I'm going, I'm, oh, please don't. Who's seeing? I'm right, screaming. Right. That's, yeah. and I can't imagine the shame that she would have had right there in that moment. And for Jesus mm-hmm. to f- expose his father's heart to her, yeah. which is I, no condemnation, yeah. absolutely yeah. no condemnation. You are so free right now in this moment. Well, and I, so I think we we water sometimes down with the, the really yeah. the magnitude of what happened there, and mm-hmm. that is so applicable to anyone that we come into contact with. It doesn't matter how big the shame, yeah. he is but bigger. I want you to think about the other person in that story, Jesus. He had okay. to be. You have to be so secure in yourself, absolutely. To someone yeah. is. You have just pulled them out of the bed and naked. Well, and, and what to and be, the Pharisees, to, they said, but Moses said yes. that should be stoned. Yes. I mean, he had to stand up to all of these, you know, these well-respected theologians, these, you know, today would be the top Christians. Yes. The, you know, the top conservatives or whatever. Right. I mean, they would be, you know, and Jesus had to stand up to them. Did Jesus believe in adultery? No. no. But did Jesus who, you know, it says, that, you know, he, but he wrote, was so personal to her yes. in that moment. Oh, yeah. He did not care what anybody, anybody else said. thought. No. But one thing he didn't do, Jesus is God. And it says that the finger of God wrote the Ten Commandments. Jesus' own finger wrote, thou shalt not commit adultery. He never went back on that. Mm-hmm. And and then he wrote with his finger in the ground, the stony ground of Jerusalem where those mm-hmm. Pharisees, you know, who knows what he was writing. We don't know what he was writing. But it's not lost on me that the finger of God is writing on stone there to say, yes. you want to tell me about the law? Yes. I wrote the law. Let me show you the spirit here. The yeah. spirit of the law is I have come to yeah. fulfill the law, and I will stand for this woman because this is who I came to save. Yes. 
think too, I was just thinking about how the parallel between, we're talking about the woman, right? Mm-hmm. Called adultery here. You have like, you have her being stoned and Jesus says, right, go and sin no more, right? Her new, yes. It's the righteousness, right? The faith by, we have this righteousness by faith that's occurring. And it's funny because you can compare that to in the beginning, right? We have Adam and Eve and we have them in the garden, right? So in the very beginning, they sin, they realize their nakedness. Again, we weren't even made for that, right? We weren't mm-hmm. made for clothes to cover anything up in the beginning in a physical sense, but they're, he, he makes the sacrifice to cover them physically, right? So yes. we have the law, right? Yes. We have self-righteousness. And then you have in this modern context, like you have the story of this woman called adultery who he, instead of, you know, being covered with clothes or with the law in a physical sense, she's covered in righteousness that comes by faith. And that's Amen. the story that separates us that's right. from there. Yeah. That's right. Oh, one other person that I, I thought of is Paul in Galatians 2. When he's dealing with Peter, who is being a chicken, you know, and he's separating out because he didn't want to be with the Gentiles who are eating the shrimp and the whatever, you know, the, the foods that aren't kosher. And so, you know, Peter buys into this division thing out of fear, mm-hmm. and Paul calls him a hypocrite, calls Barnabas a hypocrite. I mean, he calls them out, mm-hmm. and he's like, we are we are here for for the pagans, the heathens, you know, yeah. the ones who've never known the law, who've mm-hmm. never obeyed the law, who've been eating shrimp their whole lives, you know, yeah. and that's that's another one of these like bold stances to go against the status quo mm-hmm. and to not take that path of lesser resistance. Yeah. I want to just end this to. Um, the last year, this week last year, I was in the hospital, and uh, things happen. I had what's called a superbug. I had an, a, a bacteria that none of the antibiotics were working on. Um, of course, we covered it in prayer. We, you know, we did all the things, um, but. I went into the hospital for several days, and I ended up um, being put on NBANS, which is a top-tier antibiotic that they only infectious disease will administer. And it was by IV for two weeks after the hospital. So a week in the hospital and then two weeks of intravenous NBANS. What an experience. I don't get sick. And it, and it just, you know... I had this bacteria for months that got to the point of uh, sicker than I've ever been. And the day I went into the hospital was May 1st last year. And uh, my body was like dying. And and there was no way to continue to function at home. So... (laughs) Oh, my goodness, Mark and my sister. It was traumatic for them as well. But the morning I went to the hospital, the word God gave me was, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I just want to read some scriptures. And I want this to wash over us and to wash over anyone who's listening who is in, is between a rock and a hard place and in an impossible and very scary situation in their lives. 
These are just the scriptures that uh, the Lord gave me that day. Proverbs 10, what the righteous desire will be granted. I am righteous in Jesus. What the righteous desire will be granted. When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand forever. Psalm 56, my enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know, God is on my side. I will praise God for what he has promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? And I'm telling you, I can, I, I can tell y'all the only time I had even a moment of fear, because I lived brainwashed in these scriptures, okay? There's more I'm going to read, but... There was only one moment that, that I, I had any fear, and it, it was, um, I think it was maybe the day before this when I was at the doctor's office, and she said, you have a super bug. There's nothing that can cure this. And my husband and I were in the room with her, and for one, I'm telling you one second, maybe two I felt the fear hit my whole body. You know how you can feel fear? Like it, it was a pain that, and a dizziness and an out-of-body sort of like, where am I? What's happening here? But that was it because before and after, all through this sickness, this is what I washed my brain in. Second Kings 6. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Deuteronomy 20, Do not be afraid as you go out to fight your enemies today. Do not lose heart or panic or tremble before them, for the Lord your God is going with you. He will fight against your enemies, and he will give you victory. And I wrote this paragraph right here on May 1st, 2022. Don't be afraid. When God says that, it's because he's going to get us through the present trial and the attack of the enemy. He will give us the victory. There are angelic horses and chariots of fire all around us. There are more of us than there are of the demonic forces against us. Our enemies retreat when we call on God. God is on our side. We praise God for what he has promised because we trust him and he is faithful. We are the righteousness of God in Christ and what the righteous desire is granted. When this storm has passed, this trial and every force of evil behind it will be gone and we will stand forever. Isaiah 41, fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand saying to you, fear not, I will help you. And I just have two pages of these scriptures about don't be afraid. 
Um, you have a lot more than that. <laughs> I know. Uh, I'm prolific when it comes to my brainwashing scriptures, my scripture lists. Let me just read one more. And this one is from Isaiah 43, and I, I had it in the message. We, we've read it probably in the New King James or the New American Standard, but this one is in the message. But now God's message, the God who made you in the first place, the one who got you started, says, don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called your name. You are mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end because I am God, your personal God. So let me just pray, and we'll just end it with a, with a quick prayer. Lord, as Reagan said, there are no limits. There are no limits with you. We are not bound by time. We're not bound by space. We're not bound by the laws of nature. When it comes to your power and your plans, your desire is for us to be in good health and prosper in our bodies and our souls. And I pray, Lord, today for anyone who's listening who's in an impossible situation, whether it be in their bodies, whether it be in their families or their finances or their relationships or in any way, I pray for a miracle. You are with them. You will get them through. You will make a way where there seems to be no way. And I pray for that way to be made today and for your life to be manifested. In Jesus' name. A Real View is brought to you by Parousia, a ministry devoted to boldly sharing the gospel of God's grace, freely offered to us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Visit ParisiaMinistries.com for teachings and testimonies, as well as information on how you can order Trisha Gunn's highly acclaimed book, Unveiling Jesus, a verse-by-verse foundation of the message of grace. This show is made possible by the generous financial support of people like you who love this message of grace. Your tax-deductible gift to Parousia is greatly appreciated.